by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we're in a series called The Rescue, and we've endeavored to start back before creation, and we're going to take you through up to the time we're living now and on into what we can expect in the future and rapture and the, the millennial reign of Christ. We're going to get to all that. Uh, it seems like we're maybe getting bogged down in some things, but there's so much richness in the Bible. You ought to read it sometimes. I mean, we're just skipping thousands and thousands of stories that will literally change your life, but we, we can't do it all. You know, you can't preach the whole Bible in, in a year. <laughs> so... Last week we discussed the law of Moses versus grace that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We got up to the part where Moses had delivered them out of Egypt, out of the slavery and the bondage of, of the world. And they went into the wilderness, a time of testing, but they failed. And God, you know, we had already discussed that uh, early on we was in an age of innocence where you know, they were just living in the garden. And then, then they, got out, they got kicked out of the garden because that didn't work, right? Then we went to a time of conscience where man just did what was on his conscience to do. We figured out that conscience helps, but it ain't enough. Then there was a time of, of governance of ourselves, you know, the Tower of Babel. We tried to say, well, we'll take care of that. We'll, we'll govern ourselves. That didn't work. So now here we find ourselves in the wilderness, and God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And he lays down the law, right? And we're going to see that the law wasn't enough. We talked about that. The law couldn't get us into the promised land. Moses didn't cross the Jordan into the promised land. And so we, last week we discussed the law versus the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which one do you want? Do you want to live under a law that just points out your flaws? A law that challenges you to go higher but really tempts you to fail? Everything in our human nature says, when you tell me what to do, I'm going to do the opposite. And the law just caused us to be even more sinful in reality. But the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're living in a time of grace, gave me eternal life. I don't know about you. If you've received Jesus Christ, you can know that you have eternal life. And this life is in his son. I know that I'm loved because greater love has no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for me so that I could be forgiven, so that I could have love in my heart to forgive others. I got a new identity. I got a new purpose. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm a partaker of his divine nature and sealed with the spirit of Jesus Christ until his return. It's all in the grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I'm telling you, it's good to wake up and know that somebody's got your back. How does this grace come? We discussed one of the major keys through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. God's not pleased unless we believe him. So we have faith and we have grace. But do you know there's an enemy out there that's not just going to let you skate by and 
La-ti-da, I've got faith. Oh, yeah, I had faith a long time ago. No, there's enemies of your faith. And today's message is entitled Faith's Foes. And we're going to discuss, I'm going to tell you the two we're talking about today. Tell you on the front end. Fear and discouragement. Say that, fear and discouragement. You going to help me preach today? Because I know there's a preach in you too, right? Woo! Y'all remember the story I told when I was in junior high, I worked at the concession stand, and how I may have put some blow pops in my pocket and ate a little popcorn without paying for it, you know? <laughs> I was high on the hog them days. You know, I don't know what they were thinking, putting me in charge. But there was that coach, Coach Cooley. You remember him I talked about? If you were here that day, he's six foot five, probably 250 pounds, at least in my memory. And he used to come in there and steal stuff too. And I challenged him, you can't keep taking stuff for free, coach. And he jacked me up, you know, and got me by the collar and, and intimidated me. Well, it was that same coach that was in uh, the gym one day at, in junior high. And I guess it was PE class or something. I can't remember. But me and Ohio was in there. You know, I told a Howl story every, every sermon so far in this series. <laughs> so we'll continue. But old Coach Cooley, he was saying, I bet nobody in here could beat me in arm wrestling. He's talking to a bunch of junior high kids, okay? He's a grown man. Nobody's strong as me. I'll whoop anybody. And he's just blustering and talking about how great he is and running everybody down. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to arm wrestle him, you know. And about that time, I hear Hal's voice saying, I'll arm wrestle you. And I thought, he's crazy. What's he doing? But then again, I thought, you know, Hal's been manning a chainsaw since he was about seven, eight years old. You know, chainsaws are heavy. His forearm's about as big as my thigh. And I said, well, maybe he could win. I don't know. And so when, that, when all the teenagers heard that, they all gathered around, you know, and, uh, yeah, let's see this, let's see this. And, and Coach Cooley was kind of surprised that somebody took him up on it. But he said, well, come on, you know, he was still talking bad. And they got on the table, and they, somebody said, go, and Hal went, whoop. And put him down. I'm talking, every, all the teenagers took off running. Yeah, yeah. You know how they do. They get all excited. Woo-hoo! And the whole place just exploded with laughter and, and joy. And Hal was the hero. And old Coach Cooley is like, he cheated. And he walks off in a huff and leaves. Why do I tell this story? I don't know. But I will tell you this. Back in them days, I could beat Hal arm wrestling. Well, at least half the time. I mean, we would go back and forth. We were about the same strength. And I think to myself, why wasn't I the hero? Why didn't I step up to the bully? Why was I intimidated and cowered down? Fear. And how many of us never step in to the hero God's called you to be because we're afraid we might fail. Anyway, last week we talked about the law. And man's been under the, was under the law for 1,254 years until Jesus said it is finished on the cross. And it was finished for those who would believe. Now, I've told you the law is still in effect for those who don't believe, right? But this... 
There's so many stories that we just have to skip by. But Moses has bring it, brought the people out of slavery and out of Egypt into the wilderness. And he, he gives them the law and all that. And then he, he feeds them with manna he, from heaven. He, he, water from the rock. God is doing all these miracles. There's all these things going on. They set up the priesthood that we're not going to be able to talk about, which is so important. They set up a tabernacle where they would worship God. So important, but we're not going to have time to talk about. God led them by fire by night and cloud by day. God walked with his people. Moses often walked into the tabernacle to meet with God face to face, and his, his assistant Joshua would go with him sometimes. So many things. But I can only touch on a few things along the way, and we're going to talk about when Moses sent in the 12 spies to view the promised land. You probably know that story. He took one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. You remember who, where the 12 tribes of Israel came from? Some of you have been coming to church, right? Uh, the, the sons of Jacob and his two grandsons. Well, they're, they're long gone, but their tribes live on under their name. So he took one person from each of the tribes, and uh, he sends them into the promised land to spy it out, to see if it is as good as God promised. Well, they stay there a while. They come back with these grapes. It takes two men to carry on a pole. They're like, look at this stuff. I mean, this is truly indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. We've never seen anything like it. It's beautiful streams flowing and valleys and hills and luscious green and everything. And the people were eyes were so big and excited. Yes, yes, yes. But then they said, but we can't have it. It didn't like what we do. It would be nice, but, you know, they're big people in there and walled cities and giants, and we're like grasshoppers in their side. It would be nice if we could, you know, we could have the promises of God, but we can't. How many of you know that there's promises God made you, but you're saying, no, it would be nice if I could, but it's just little old me. I, I'm like a little grasshopper. How am I going to get my promises? Ten of them said that, but two of them had a different spirit. They had a spirit of faith and courage, not fear and, what was the other thing? Discouragement. Not fear and discouragement, but faith and hope and courage. It was Caleb and Joshua. And I wonder if it was Joshua because he was one of them going in the temple and spending time with God. And they said, what are you guys talking about? It is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, and we're well able to possess it. Our God promised it to us. We will take what God promised us. How many of us are living up to the promises we find in God's Word right now? Praise God. Praise God. But what did the people do? They sided with the ones that were the naysayers, the majority. Faith comes from spending time with God, but crowds are often fueled by cowardice. Crowds are often a place where cowards go to fit in. And it's tempting these days to say, well, everybody says, and the news says, and all these things say, well, I'm just going with the crowd. Surely all these people couldn't be wrong. Everybody's doing it. 
I'll just do what everybody else is doing it. You must know on the front end. Very few people have the courage to stand alone. And cowardice is often found in the crowds. You do what God says, no matter what the crowd says. Numbers 14, 11, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? God feels like you're treating him with contempt when you don't believe his promises. You say, well, I don't want to impose on God. No, you're just scared. You're just scared to receive the promise. You're treating God with contempt like you don't care about his promises. He said, well, they never believed me even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them. All the things he's done to you, you're still alive. You're still sitting on that purple chair, and you can't believe God for the next thing? It's time we courage up, folks. It's time we grow some faith. God said, these people ain't entering into the promised land. These people that keep wanting to go back to the world, these keep naysayers, have no faith, don't believe me, don't believe my promises, you're not going in. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation died off. The only ones still alive were the ones under the age of, uh, what do you call it? My mind just went completely blank. Accountability. They were under the age, they were under age of 20 when God made that decree they wouldn't go in. So they circled for 40 years because they were afraid. I wrote this, fear and faith don't coexist. One will always negate the other. If you're in faith and you're believing God and all of a sudden you let fear in and you start to doubt, well, there, there went your faith. And vice versa. If you're afraid and cowered down, but you get in the word and you begin to listen to God's voice and you build faith, then there goes your fear. Pick one. Good preaching. Give that girl the mic. Amen. Faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God, buddy. Fear or faith? Faith or fear? One leads to the promised land. One digs a trench in the wilderness. Do you want the promised land or the trench in the wilderness? I want faith. I want to trust God for the promises. That's easy to say amen, but when you put it practically in your own life and the things that you're facing right now, it's like sometimes we say, oh me. But keep saying amen to God. Keep saying amen. Why, do, why, do we, why are we always afraid and discouraged? Why Solomon says of man in Ecclesiastes 5.17 about mankind, he says, throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. If I've ever lived at a time in my life where I was more tempted to be frustrated, discouraged, and angry, it's right now. How many of you are feeling the same temptations to feel that way, to live that way? Frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Do you want to live under that cloud? Is that where you want to hang out? I'm telling you, I'm calling the church to rise above the clouds. 
and to soar on wings as eagles. It's time to put the clouds below our feet. The psalmist said in Psalm 42, 11, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? He said, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Are you putting your hope in God or are you putting your hope in the stock market? You putting your hope in the government? You're going to be frustrated, discouraged, and sad. You putting your hope in your job? You putting your hope in temporary things? We don't look to the temporary things, but the things which are not seen, which are eternal in the heavens. We look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The one who is able to write the story and to develop the story of our lives. Praise God. We should. So 40 years he bore with these knuckleheads full of faith, uh, full of discouragement and fear. And then when it's time to bring this new generation into the promised land, he tells Moses, you're not going across. And Moses says this in Deuteronomy 31, 7. It says, Moses called for Joshua and all of Israel watched. The whole nation was waiting to see what Moses had to say. And he said to him, be strong and courageous. For you will lead these people into the land that the, land, the Lord swore to their ancestors he would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. He says, do not be afraid or discouraged. Say afraid or discouraged. There it is again. He's saying that's what led us in this wilderness for 40 years. You got to stop being afraid. You got to stop being discouraged. For the Lord will personally go ahead of you. Faith breaks the Lord on your side. He will be with you. He will neither fail nor abandon you. So Joshua, a man of faith and courage, takes him across, across the Jordan on dry land. Did you know that God not only parted the Red Sea for Moses, but he parted the Jordan for Joshua to take him into the promised land? And what's the first battle they come across when they enter into the promised land the walled city of Jericho now I know all you heard this story in children's church about how they were told to walk around the wall once a day for six days and on the seventh day walk around seven times and then the trumpet will sound and then they will shout for their victory and the walls will come in come crashing down what can we learn from that story well, I, I bet the, the captains of the army of Joshua were saying, Joshua, I know God told you that, but look, dude, that's not going to work. <laughs> you can't shout them walls down. Look, we got arrows. We can put some flaming fire on them. We can build a ramp or something. We got means, but this is not going to work. Joshua, you know, that's silliness. What did Joshua say? No, we're going to do what God says. And I tell you what, we're not only going to do what God said, I'm going to add something to what God said. You shut your mouth on the way around the, the, the walls. Because you ain't going to do nothing but sit there and talk bad. This is stupid. This is dumb. I don't know why we even follow God in the first place. This ain't going to work. Is that building faith? 
You better watch what comes out of your mouth because it's either fear or faith. And you're going to eat the fruit of it. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. He said, y'all just shut up and walk around the wall and do what God says. And if you, you forget what you're supposed to be doing on the earth, that's it. Shut up and do what God says. Most of my temptation to be in fear is that I'll mess something up. That I'll step out there and I'll do something but it'll fail. And I'll lead you guys wrong or do something. And so I have to fight against the temptation to be in fear. But you know what I have learned? That if I do what God says, the onus is on him and not on me. And it takes all the pressure off of me. If we step out and we walk around that wall seven times and shout and the ball's still standing there, I say, well, God told us to do it and it ain't on me. Let's go around again. <laughs> I don't know. Let's hear from God next time. It takes all the pressure off of you if you would just trust God and stop trying to do it yourself. What would have happened if they would have went over that wall without God? Another thing I see in the story about Jericho is that all the cities that they had to conquer when they went into the promised land, Jericho was the first. And God says, all the plunder of Jericho, all the silver and gold are mine. Bring them into my temple. And that's, that's strange because all the rest of the cities that they were later to conquer, they could keep the plunder for themselves. But God says, everything from that first city is mine. Thank you, buddy. The first fruits belong to the Lord. It's symbolic of the tithe. And another thing God's people are afraid of is letting go of that, that, that chain on your wallet. They won't tithe. They won't give God what is His. They argue with God. They're afraid. Are you afraid to tithe? To give God the, the first fruits of all your labor? Do you know what happened? Everybody gave their tithe except one guy named Achan. He saw a gold bar and some silver and a robe that he really wanted. He wanted to keep that. So he, he took it for himself and he hid it underneath his tent. Well, the next battle was against this little bitty old town. Shouldn't have been no problem at all called Ai. They sent out just 3,000 men. That we already be able to take care of that. He got a little cocky, you know, in the second battle. They went out and they got routed, and 36 men died. And they come back with their tails between their legs. And Joshua lays down before the Lord crying, God, I don't understand why you said it. You, you told us. And, and, and this man of power and faith is a blubbering idiot all of a sudden. And God says, stand up, Joshua. What are you doing down there? The reason why you didn't see any success is because I was not with you. Because y'all partook of the tithe that was supposed to be mine. And Joshua said, who did it? God said, I'll show you. And so they went through a process, and they figured out Achan was the one. And Achan came clean, said, yes, in my tent. And they went and dug it up. You know what they did? They took Achan and the stuff that he had and his, and his mules and his donkeys and his cows and his tent and his family, and they stoned them all. And they burned their bodies, and they covered them up with stones as a memorial to never take the first fruits from God. Aren't you glad we live under a time of grace? Be a lot of memorials around here.
But that's how serious it is. You say, that's harsh. Why would they do that? That's too much punishment. Well, what about the families of those 36 men that died in the battle of Ai because that one man was so greedy with God's resources? And we wonder why the church is highly ineffective in America. When, you, when I think they say like 5% of the church ties in America, we wonder why we ain't seeing much success. You say you're afraid to tithe. I say I'm afraid not to tithe. Well, anyway, they finally faithed up and they possessed the land. They took all the land that God allotted for them and they gave it to the different 12 tribes. And guess what happened next? They were living in houses they didn't build. They were drinking from cisterns that they didn't dig. They were eating from grapes that they didn't plant. I mean, they, they were living high on the hog. And guess what typically happens when you're living high on the hog like America's living high on the hog right now? You neglect the Lord. You begin to think, oh, I did this myself. And you forget who brought that prosperity into your life. It happens over and over and over and over as an example in the Bible. Up and down the history of man. With God, without God. With God, without God. Forget God, remember God. You usually remember him when you're on the downward slope. <laughs> and that's what happened. They would forget God when things were going good. And the, the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Midianites, all the ites would come against them. And then they would get uh, destroyed or, or they would take their stuff or they would oppress them. And then they would say, oh, yeah, we could cry out to God. They finally remember God, last thing, you know. And they cry out to God and God sent what you call judges. People that God would supernaturally empower that were full of faith that would deliver his people. And God is always faithful, even when we're not. And he will deliver you if you will turn back to him. And you might, you can read them in the book of Judges. There's like 12 of them. Uh, you might remember names like Samson, Deborah, Jephthah, Gideon. There's, there's uh, like eight more in there that I can't recall right now. But that's what happened. There was a period where man would do good and then forget God. Do good, then forget God. And God would keep having to rescue him. Another type shadow of what we go through in our life if we don't have firm guardrails and firm commitment to Jesus, to your church, to your life groups. That's why I'm always telling you, you can think that you can get away with, with uh, slacking on this this semester, slacking on that. I don't really have to go to church every week, do I? I don't have to pray every day. I don't have, before you know it, you're over here Completely out from under God's protection. And the devil says, that's what I've been waiting on. And then he attacks. The devil's patient. He's just waiting on that slow fade. But it's so important. That's why I'm always stressing. You can't be slack. This is not the time to be slack. Well, anyway, they have a time where, you know, things are going pretty good and everything. And the people say, to the priest Samuel, we want a king. Samuel says, you got a king. His name's God. But no, we want a king like the world. We want like all these other nations. We want to be like everybody else. We don't want God to be our king. Amen. 
And that's what America's saying today. We don't want God to be the king over our schools. We don't want God to be even in our government. We don't want God. We don't want God. We want to be like China. We want to be like Russia. We want to be like all these communist nations. We don't, we don't want to be restrained. We want to have our own king. <laughs> and so they call a man named Saul. And they say, he's tall. He's good looking. Surely he'll make a good king. And so they decide that they're going to anoint this king. They're going to have an inauguration, so to speak. And I can imagine them building this big platform. And, and uh, maybe Samuel the priest is out there. And he's got all of Israel out in front of him. And he says, and now I would like to introduce you to your new king, Saul of Kish. Saul of Kish. Anybody seen Saul? Where's Saul? We can't have an inauguration without him. Where's... So uh, we're having technical technical difficulties. Just hold on just a second. Come on, guys, let's pray. Where's Saul? Where's Saul? Anybody seen Saul? It says in 1 Samuel, I'm not making this up. 10.22, so they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he's hiding among the baggage. <laughs> you talk about campaigning from the basement. This guy is not fit to be the king. He's not ready. He can't even come out before the people. They finally get him out there and they make him king. And we laugh that he's hiding among the baggage. But I look back and I realize most of my life I've been hiding behind the baggage. The baggage of my past. The hurts and the disappointments and the times I did fail. I'm hiding behind that so I don't have to do that again. I'm hiding in the baggage. I don't want to be put on the spot. I don't want people to see me try and fail. I'm hiding the baggage of my past failures causing me to fear forward. I love that term, fear forward. I just made it up. That means going forward in fear instead of faith. Why don't we faith forward? But instead we fear forward, hiding in the baggage. Well, old Saul, he's probably so scared that He's just doing whatever God tells him and Samuel tells him at first. And so he does pretty good. He does. He wins some big battles and he establishes himself as king and everything seems great at first until he stops obeying God. And then the character flaws begin to be evident of this man. He would put himself in position to be the king. You know, your character always catches up with you. You got to build that stuff. Your integrity, your character takes time. That's why it says don't put a man in charge when he's too young, you know. So, anyway, fear of his own inadequacy consumed him. He's wondering what the people are saying all the time. He's afraid of what the polls have to say. He's, he's, 
one of those politicians that, that are driven by the poll numbers. He's pleasing people instead of pleasing God. He eventually just disobeys God. He even consults a medium to bring Samuel back from the dead. And he loses his kingship. God gets fed up with him, takes him out of the kingship, and he dies. Hmm. In Saul's life, he had a run-in with Goliath. You remember that? And we all have the run-in with Goliath. Goliath maybe symbolizing the things that, that cower us down, the coach coolies in our life. The ones that talk so loud on the inside and put that fear in us. Cause us to either cower down or courage up. And big as Saul was on the outside, and big as all his men were, they were running and hiding. Every time Goliath would come out and start his big old blustering about how great he is and how little you guys are. And I guess they figured a mental beating was better than a physical one. So, the, But is it really? I think I'd just rather be beaten physically than to be messing, messed up in my mind all the time. Wouldn't you? Having torment going on. But anyway, the whole army of Israel is cowered down. Nobody's couraging up. Goliath, Coach Cooley's taunting and po poking at our fears. You're scared to fight. You're not a champion like me. He said, defeat me and I'll be your slave. But you won't. Because you're already my slave. And many of us are slaves to fear, the Bible says. But then comes along a little boy. He's little on the outside, but he's big on the inside. Anybody know his name? David. David is a man, a young boy who spent time with God. He was developing his faith. During this time, he was dealing with the lions and the bears. He was working his faith. And David doesn't hear Goliath's taunt as a personal insult. No. Something far worse. He hears Goliath's insults as an insult to his God. David's self-worth and his courage and they're not fragile because they're inextricably linked to God's. He says, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. That's his attitude. You talk about me, that's okay, but you can't talk about my God. Finally, a man not full of fear and discouragement, but of faith and hope. And he says, let me at him. He ain't even old enough to be in the army. He's just bringing cheese to his brother's. And he gets there and he hears these taunts and he said, no, I ain't standing for this. Let's go get them, guys. And his brothers are like trying to put him in his place. You're just a little boy. Go back to your sheep. Go back to your place. He said, my place is to defend the honor of my Lord Jesus, basically. To defend the honor of my God. They bring David before King Saul. Now, you can imagine, this really happened to little boys brought before the king. You think that might be a little bit intimidating? 
Well, maybe I need to change my mind. I don't know. Maybe I got my, my mouth got me into something I can't get myself out of. Maybe I um, j- just tell the king, never mind. And the king says, what's this I hear about you, boy? David says, don't you worry about that Philistine. I'll take care of him. <laughs> He's not turning back. Faith's not turning back. It doesn't have a plan B. King Saul said, but, but, but look, you're just a little boy. This man is a man of war. You got no chance. David says, the Lord who rescued me from the, the claw of the lion and the bear shall rescue me from this Philistine. Was David afraid? I bet he was. I'm just being honest. I bet the, I bet the temptation to be afraid was there. What do you think? But he would later write in Psalms 56, 3, but when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Do it afraid. Hmm. Saul offers little David his armor, says, here, you're going to need this. Saul, David puts it on and says, you don't understand, king, this ain't a natural battle. This is a spiritual battle. And he gathers himself five smooth rocks and a sling, and he goes across that valley ready to get it on. Come on now. And Goliath is puzzled. He's been roaring like a lion. He's thinking to himself, usually this works. Who's this coming across the valley to meet me, actually? Like Coach Cooley. Who's actually going to arm wrestle me? David comes across there. And this lion is roaring. And in 1 Samuel 17, 45, David replies to the Philistines, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and there is a God in Israel, and there is a God in his church. And we need to let the whole world know that our God is real. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. But not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. And he will give you to us. So David came across there swinging that thing. And he let go. And God guided that little bitty smooth rock. To the one place in all this armor that this man was wearing. That was vulnerable. I don't know. In the temple or somewhere. Hit him. Whop. All nine feet of him fell like a big oak tree. Kaboom. David didn't waste no time, went over and took his sword off and chopped off his head. And you want to know how to deal with fear and discouragement? You chop off his head. You don't deal with it. You chop it off. By faith and hope in your God. You don't come in your own strength. With natural weapons. You come in. It's, it's not by power, by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And you have the spirit of the living God on the inside of you. And David would become king. And David would become a man after God's own heart. And David would have the promise from God that he would always have a descendant sitting on the throne. And that's why we call Jesus the son of David. 
What would Saul get out of the deal? To live a life filled with mental torment, anger, and hatred? All stemming from failing to deal deal with fear and discouragement. Which life do you choose? Faith or fear? Hope or discouragement? You can't have both. I was talking to Pastor Vickers, our senior pastor, on conference call this week. He said in over close to 50 years of ministry, he said, I've never seen a time like this. The demonic attacks on the, on the world right now. He said, I, you know, I've lived through Vietnam, Korea. I've seen some bad things in my life. He's 70-something years old. But I've never seen the demonic forces arrayed against his people like they are right now. And I've been thinking, you know, yeah, things are getting bad. And I'm thinking they're probably going to get worse, and they probably will in the world. But we can't wait till they get worse to be ready for the battle. Now is the time. Now is not the time to be afraid. What are you afraid of? Because that lot, that. That devil is roaring. Coach Cooley is roaring. Goliath is roaring. Oh, did you see all the deaths from COVID? Oh, you should. Man, are you afraid of COVID? Are you afraid you might lose your job in this climate? People are losing their job every day. There's a thousand jobs to everyone you lost because nobody else wants to work. What are you afraid of? The temptation to be afraid in today's society is very real. But I'm here to tell you my God is also very real. God will deliver you. God will deliver you. But if you choose to live in your discouragement and fear, you choose to to separate yourself from the things of God, then you'll find yourself wandering in the wilderness and missing out on the promised land. You'll find yourself cowered behind rocks while some little boy goes and faces your giant. What are you afraid of? Can I get the, the band to come up? And I, and I sense that somebody out there right now is saying, but you don't know, Pastor. My stuff is real. My stuff is real. I can't. I'm stuck. I'm this. You don't think David's stuff was real? You don't think the person sitting next to you, their stuff is real? If they can make it, you can make it. God is not a respecter of persons. He is a respecter of faith. David would later write in a Psalms 27. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? 
Are you li- do I need to read that again? Because some of you are living in faith over this COVID thing. The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? You're saying it's just going to be for a short time. They said it was going to be 14 days, and now it's show us your card. I don't care if you want to be vaccinated or not vaccinated. I don't care if you wear a mask or don't wear a mask. I'm not getting into those human arguments. I'm saying don't be afraid of anything. Even if you die, it's just a promotion for a Christian. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Not me. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. I get one life, and I'm not living it afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek the most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me when the time of trouble comes. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me on high, out of reach on a high rock. And then I will hold my head above those enemies that surround me. Yeah, the enemies are surrounded, but I'm surrounded by God. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Come on, stand to your feet. Somebody make a declaration of faith right now. I'm surrounded by you. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.